Hello, friends. Welcome to the Revelation Wellness Podcast. We are so happy that you've joined us today. We have a teaching for you today on body image versus body schema. And if you're not sure what that means and that intrigues you, then you want to stick around and hear more because we have more to share. But before we press play, we want to make sure that you know that you're invited to our Impact Retreat May 9th through the 13th at the beautiful Lost Canyon Retreat Center in Arizona. Friends, we want you to know that we don't want you to miss this amazing opportunity to gather together with men and women who will love you well, who will pour into you and give you a taste of freedom in community. For five days and four nights, we're going to move, we're gonna worship, we are going to eat well, we are going to pray, and we are going to play. We are stocking up on confetti because we are ready to celebrate the freedom and joy that is coming for us after a long season of not gathering together in community. The deadline to register for our impact retreat is April 15th, and we hope that you will consider joining us for this one-of-a-kind, hope-filled opportunity that is designed to equip us for the mission of loving God, getting healthy, being whole, so that we can return to our communities and love our communities well. This is an opportunity to get refreshed and renewed in ways that maybe we didn't even know that we needed as we come out of this long season of isolation. All of the details are on our website and you can swipe up to the show notes to get all the information you need and to get signed up today. And now on to today's episode. Again, we're talking about body image versus body schema. It's an important topic and we can't wait to put it into your hands. If you have enjoyed the podcast, would you share this episode with a friend and would you consider leaving a review? We listen to every one of them and they are such a blessing. They help us get the message into the hands of people that need to hear it. Enjoy today's episode and we will see you soon. Peace. All right, today, body image versus body schema. Let's do a little bit of a review. The last few weeks uh, of teachings are back here. So hey, if you missed some of this that I talk about today, I'll reference, I'm gonna talk a little review because we've kind of been baby stepping our way um, out of diet culture and into true wellness. What does it mean to be well? So initially, about three weeks ago, I did a teaching on diet culture versus wellness. The sum of that teaching basically says, listen, if we aren't careful, we will make the same mistakes in wellness as we did with fitness and food and diet in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, that it has to be about something more. And this is why it's about God. 
God is the God of health and wholeness and what you desire and long for is found in him. So if you let your wellness lead you to him and let him be the cornerstone of it, you will be well. You will be able to say, it is well with my soul and my body is outwardly fading away. It is not going to be eternal, but you have an eternal hope. That's wellness. And with an eternal hope, you can think, feel, and choose and make decisions. So we talked about that. We gotta break up with diet culture. If you are sick and tired of going round and round and you try the next diet and you do the next thing, you're like, why don't I feel well in my body? Why do I feel fat? Why do I think I'm fat? Why do I think negatively of myself? Why do I think negatively of others? Listen, that's a mind-body thing. Yes, it's a psychology thing. Yes, you can go to therapy. But our little secret sauce here in Revelation Wellness is we say, hey, let's get in your body. Let's, let's have you come back and settle down into this place that is now the temple of God. If you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And you might be conflicting back and forth. Your flesh and the Spirit are fighting because Galatians 5 tells us that they are opposed to one another. So you resist and fight and you're like, I'm sick and tired. Or, you know what? If this is your flesh, it has to fall so that the Spirit can lead you. Friends, we have been around for 10 years and all I can tell you is testimony of testimony of people that finally learned to let their flesh fall. The spirit has their way and now they're walking in freedom. Their life has changed. They're not the same person they once were. Was it an instant thing? No, it was a day by day, step by step of following God by faith. But then getting around us, people like us in a community that says, we don't want to just be hearers of the word. We actually want to do the word. Can I get an amen? Is that you? If that's you, put it in the chat. Respond. A hand, a high five. Me. Respond to it right now. Because I believe if you watch our teachings by faith and receive by faith, and I'm going to pray at the end through faith, that change will happen for you. I don't want to show up here and just give you more information because the world is loud and it'll tell you a lot of stuff. I'm going to give you some things that you need to know. I'm going to talk to your head and then we're going to let it move to our heart so it goes out your hands. That you actually begin to become changed people. That you do new things. That you don't just listen to truth and listen to new things, but you become a conduit and an ability inside of you to do it. The word says that you are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, you are a new creation. And new creations do new things. And new things are awkward at first. And they take time. And you have to stay free of judgment. So we talked about breaking up with diet culture. We've talked about nutritive mismatch. Go back in. We talked about why food, not all food, processes the same in our body and why that is. Basically, we can sum up that teaching is that God wants to match goodness matching goodness. Now, all food will give you fuel, but some foods are better than others. And we know that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that all things are permissible for you, but not all things are beneficial. You can't live on an abundance of manufactured food. They're helpful. Thank God for them in a squeeze and a pinch. But if we're living with them, we know that uh, we feel bad, we feel inflammation, our body hurts, our joints are sore. And God is saying, be good as I am good. And there is food, not that there's bad food, good food, because food basically is energy. 
but some food will give us better energy than others. So choose the best, good, better, best, like God. So we did a teaching on that. We talked about food, making those choices. In light of who God is as good, God is saying, match me. Match me. We talked about liking versus wanting food. There's wanting food and there's liking what we want. Not everything I want do I like once I've eaten it. I want to like what I want. That's a match. If I don't like what I want, right, I can want a glass of wine and like the effects and be okay. Then I can want another glass and another glass, another glass, and then we begin to know the liking falls down. You no longer like it. You have a hangover. You feel bad. You do things you regret. You say things you regret. That is no longer I like that, but I still want that. We want our wanting and our liking to match up. So we talked about that. And then last week, we talked about how exactly why diets don't work, exactly why they don't work. We talked about leptin. We talked about the hormone, your satisfied hormone in your body. And when we, when we diet, things get messed with. That leptin hormone starts to get suppressed, and then you just want more, and then it backfires, and then you start eating again. And round and round you go, gaining more weight often than when you started. Again, we're pursuing things we want but not thinking about what it is we like. So all those have led up to today's teaching, which honestly I'm like, you know what? I probably should have just started it all from here. Because last week I posed the question, uh, what if weight loss is a chicken and egg situation? What if we don't have a problem, or we, we don't have a weight problem, but we have a problem with our weight? Remember that question for last week? What if we don't really have a weight problem, but we have a problem with our weight? Which comes first? The weight problem or a problem with our weight? Well, I told you, if eight-year-olds are on diets, they don't have a problem with their weight. They, or they don't have a weight problem. They have a problem with their weight. And who told them that? Who sets the standards for what is good and what is bad when it comes to our body? God and God alone. You have a specific DNA code inside of you that is screaming to be lived out. You can't mess with it. If you do mess with it, there's ramifications, there's cost, and your body will always try to reset. The problem with our weight has everything to do with what we see. Has everything to do with what we see. Did you know your eyeballs are little bits of brain coming out your head? It's so weird. It's true. Your eyeballs are an extension of this thing right down here. Hold on. I'm reaching for her. This thing is in your head right now. And then your eyeballs come out, two other little orbs that send information back into this brain that begin to define and give meaning to life. Your brain well, it's really your mind that makes meaning. Your brain is just processing it. Your brain is the engine in the car, just doing what it needs to do. But if you drive the car harshly, if you don't nourish, if you don't put oil and water in the car's engine, it can corrode. Our minds make meaning. What my eyes look at, I am looking and yearning to make meaning. So I have to ask this question today for you. What's more important? The way our body moves or the way our body looks? 
If you're new or if you're in here right now listening, will you hit share while, I, while we ponder on that question? Someone put it in the chat. What's more important? What, I guess I have to shit on us, what should we value more? The way our body moves or the way our body looks? What's more important? Yeah. Well, honestly, let's just be real. <laughs> the answer depends on who you ask and when you ask it. A 20-year-old female, girl, or guy who spends most days scrolling social media, checking out the latest fashions and makeup trends, is probably going to care more about how their body looks than how it moves. Plus, they're young. Their movement is just kind of happening. There's a grace. There's not the aches and pains that we know come upon us with time and pressure. But if you ask an 80-year-old who fell and broke her hip coming down a flight of stairs and is bedridden and can't move, if you ask them what's more important, the way their body looks or the way their body moves, I guarantee you they're going to say, the way my body moves. We want to move. Take away of this teaching. If you write it down and you remember one thing that you say over and over, our body is for ability and not for vanity. The body, our body is given to us for ability and not vanity. Now, vanity doesn't mean you can't care about what you you eat or drink. What Jesus says is do not worry about those things. Care and worry are very two, two very different things. In Matthew 6, when Jesus says, do not worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, about the body, how you will clothe it, do not worry. He's not saying do not care. You can care. Care means eat, drink, nourish it, clothe it appropriately for the elements. But don't worry about it. Don't obsess over it. Don't give it so much energy that you now worship that thing. That's the center of your heart. Then he who is to be there, God. Our body is for ability and not vanity. Everyone, I want to grab your eyeballs and give them a ah, 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 clean. And remember, when you see bodies, we are to look for ability, not vanity. Vanity is a distraction. Vanity is, hey, we can see something nice and call it beautiful, but the, being, the moment we try to give and think, how can I get that? How can I be that? One, that's coveting. Two, it begins to move into worry. And then our life becomes about getting what we want, even at the cost of what we like. And I think you would rather enjoy, like the feeling of wholeness and peace, versus wanting the perfect body. What's your choice? Make the choice. Do you want that sense of peace? Would that feel good to you? Would that be like likable for you? Or is it that I've got to have that perfect thing? I've got to have that beauty. I have to have whatever the standard is. So when I ask the question, what's more important, is your body ability to move or how your body looks? That is the difference between body schema 
and body image. Let me read to you uh, what I wrote here. Uh, okay, when sin entered the world, right? We know this is a God first thing. Genesis 1, world was made. God in the beginning, God created. We sinned because we have this free will inside of us because God lets us choose to listen to him or choose our own longings and desires. And when we choose our own longing and desires and not listen to him, that is sin. And sin has an effect on us, our eyeballs, what we see, what we want, and what we covet. When sin entered the world, the way we see and experience our bodies got fractured. The way we see our bodies and experience our bodies is the difference between body image and body schema. The way we see and experience our bodies is the difference between body image and body schema. Listen to me. Body schema connects the brain to the body through sensory experience and motor skills. When you see a baby learning to crawl, body schema, do you think that that child, that baby, is even looking at itself and wondering, why are my hands so chubby? <laughs> no. No, they're wondering, how do I get this thing to move? How do I get over there? Really, and if you think about it, a child moves because they're curious about the world around them. They're not thinking, how do, I want my body to start getting really active and fit. No, they're thinking, how do I get over there? I see that, that sparkly thing hanging off the cabinet. I wonder what that is. Their eyes see it and they begin to go, how can I get there? And that desire to get moving and get mobile and get after things they want to get curious about becomes the issue of body schema. So body schema connects the brain and the body through a sensory experience and motor skills. Having a body schema is what helps us control our posture and our movement. Everyone, if you're not driving, put your right hand in the air. Put your left hand over your heart. That's body schema. The fact that you could do that, the fact that you knew right hand right up, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say right hand up and you went right hand down. No, you heard the information. It talked to your brain, then sent a message to the, the nerves through your body to shoot that right hand up. And it took the left hand and put on the heart. That is body image. And by the way, it's a beautiful posture of worship. Having a body schema gives us the ability to go about our day and accomplish what we need to do. For example, Someone born with cerebral palsy has a disrupted body schema. They have a different experience in their body than someone who doesn't have this disease. A simple task like filling a glass of water can be challenging for someone with a body schema disease or condition. Come on, body schema. Now, body image that's a whole, nother, a whole nother thing. Body image is how we experience our bodies in relationship to ourselves and the world around us. How we construct our view about it. The difference between body schema and body image is body schema is mechanical. 
If I have cerebral palsy, there's actually a breakdown. There's a mechanic missing in my body. There's myelin or something's been stripped away that mechanical mal uh, malfunction that's keeping me from being able to fill a glass of water. Body schema is a breakdown mechanically, but body image is a breakdown psychologically, period. Having a body schema is a matter of fact. I have a body schema. I can do this. Where a body image is a matter of opinion. Body image is a matter of opinion. I'm seeing things and I'm shaping my view based on someone's opinion. So I'd say this today, we aren't afraid of being un an unattractive person. We are afraid of being treated like an unattractive person because who defines beauty? I said that question last week. Who defines the right weight for you? Who set that standard? There is no standard. We've tried to put some boundaries in and that's actually created diet culture because doctors are like, you're over this, so you need to now do this and get under. But who's to say? You, you only really know if you are not well. Now, if your blood uh, results come back negative or there's some health issues, that goes back to the chicken and egg situation. Are your health issues happening because you're stressed out about your health? Or are your, are your health issues happening because you are neglecting what needs to be cared for? But even then, who sets the weight? It's impossible to tell you what your perfect weight is, just like it is impossible to tell you this is the beauty standard for you. It's impossible. And it's hell coming against you and me. We are afraid of being treated like an unattractive person, not being one because who defines unattractive? Which isn't that scales moving around now. Again, are we seeing, and I think it's beautiful, we're seeing more embracing of diversity. We're seeing people on television, commercial ads that have birthmarks on their face and different markings and scarrings, and we're beginning to say, this is beautiful. That's amazing, but who and why are we doing that? Because we are realizing we have been thinking way too narrow about beauty. And the truth is, the more people see that on television, the more that actually becomes beautiful because the eyes start to see it and go, that's actually pretty fascinating. That's different. That's beautiful. Who defines beauty? Our worldview defines beauty. The kingdom from which we live from defines beauty. If we ascribed to the values of the world, then that is the confined space we live from. But if we think and choose and feel and mind the kingdom, beauty is endless because God is the image bearer of everyone, everyone who has been made. They all bear his image. Isaiah 53, verse 1 through 3. This is Isaiah talking and he is prophesying. These are scriptures of Jesus who is to come. And it says, this is Jesus. He's speaking of Jesus. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. There was nothing about Jesus that 
was distracted, that people would be distracted by his beauty. And hear me, beauty is power. I, believe, I have a beautiful daughter. I believe she is beautiful. Of course, everyone thinks, you're, thinks our daughters are beautiful, and they are. But there are these acceptable standards. I'm going to talk about some of those in a minute because they're different depending on where you live. And that allows some privilege for a beautiful person. If you fit a certain cultural standard that's been raised up, it allows some power, some authority, some access, but it cannot be your everything because it's coming and it's going. Beauty comes, beauty goes. You have to know who you are. And so God gets Jesus. There is nothing beautiful about him. There's nothing beautiful of the standard of that day. There'd be nothing that people would think, this is the Messiah. Look how good looking he is. Look how big his muscles are. Nothing. So you have to think that he was, in our mind, like what is just the average Joe, someone you would probably pass by on the streets? That is who Jesus was. So he was not concerned about the opinion of man because he knew who he was. If you know who you are, you will not lift up a body image higher than God himself. It's God who gets lifted up and then you begin to match that image. God sets the standards for our ability. In Genesis 1, 27, talking about body schema, God says, he says, let us make man in our image. And so he makes them in verse 27, and God said to them, and God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue and have dominion. That all, that's everything they are to do, that's their body schema. They are to have the ability to be fruitful, multiply it, fill the earth with it, subdue and take dominion, which those are warring terms. Take, have authority over these things as you begin to cultivate and grow it. It doesn't say anything about be beautiful or look a certain way. It's, hey, you've got a body. It's good. It's very good. Now use it to multiply good. God set the standard for our body schema. That's what your body ability is for. Good. And I'm telling you, as you begin to do, uh, do good, you feel good. And that's actually neuroscience. They know that people who do random acts of kindness and goodness, they begin to feel good. So you are actually giving away good. You're receiving good. And when people give and receive that kind of good, it's hard to look in the mirror and be hard on yourself. It's hard. It'd be harder. Doesn't mean you still can or can you? Sure. Because you have an enemy that wants you to be so distracted. As you think and feel and choose good, you can begin to look in the mirror and see good. So who sets the standard then for body image? For body standard or body schema, who said it? God. Here's what it's for. You're going to be able to do good. And that person that's born with cerebral palsy, if they have a mouth that they can form words and say good things and bless and smile, they are filling the earth with good. So everyone has, if you're breathing and you have life, you have body schema, you have body ability. If you are breathing and have life, you're also feeling tempted to have an image, to conform to an image of a standard that who on the earth set it? Who set the image or the standard? So here's the problem with body image. It's always moving. The standard is moving just like the perfect weight or the, the perfect shape. It's always moving. 
right, I'm going to go through like 10 countries, their standards of beauty, depending on where you live. Some of you would be like, well, I need to pack my bags. I can tell you right now, I need to pack my bags and go to Brazil. I would fit, which, which is perfect because I have Latin roots in me. I fit that mold more. So in the United States, the standard of beauty is a tall, slender, but busty woman with delicate features. I'm out. That would not be the standard. Now, again, these are the world standards. This is a cultural standard. This is lower than the kingdom of God. There's the kingdom of God standards, and then there's the world standards. I'm talking right now about all these worldly standards. United States, tall, slender, and busty. <laughs> Jen goes, I'm out. Right, y'all, and just say it like, this is where it's like, it's good to not be, it's good to not be in. Like, you are here to be different. And if you are in and you fit that standard, you now have an authority, an obligation to use that beauty to open doors of opportunity for those who do not have it. If you've been gifted that, it's one of those to whom much is given, much is required. So the Brazilian thinks they have, or not think, the Brazilian standard is thicker, more muscular legs and hips, and a booty, and smaller top, not as busty, there you go, I'm in. Now, if it's a height thing, I'm out again, <laughs> right? Again, we need to just laugh about this, you guys. It is comical, there's just no way. It's so small of a bullseye that anyone can hit. The next one is the French. The French, their standard of beauty is unconventional. I woke up like this beauty. No makeup, just beauty, very raw, almost hippie-like, but French, so delicate. In Korea, the standard of beauty that's set up is porcelain skin, perfect skin. In India, they are now in a trend that it's actually pretty harsh on them. They want lighter skin, so lighter the skin, the better and to be slimmed down and have lustrous hair, good hair. There's the, the study that I was reading saying they're now trying, they're starting to conform them more to the West. They want them to look like an American woman. So lighter skin, slim them down and have beautiful hair. In New Zealand, there's a people group called the Maori people and nothing says beauty to them more than a tattoo on their face. That's something here in America that says prison, right? We're like, that's for convicts. It's for like people that are really, right? We have, again, that's a, that's a statement based on what you've seen. It's not true because over here, there's nothing more beautiful than someone with a tattoo on their face. In Russia, the Russians are very enamored with beauty and tend to say more is more. They will never be caught in sweats or workout clothes. I'm out. Burma, in Burma, the Cayenne tribe, a woman stacks brass coils around their neck to lengthen it. They start them young and they put another coil and another coil. And you've seen pictures of this, perhaps you have, of where a woman has a really long neck. That long neck is a sign of beauty. Think of, to us, we'd be like, that's odd. Who set that standard? And in Ethiopia, in Ethiopia, this one's crazy. In Ethiopia, when a woman reaches a childbearing age, 
Her two lower teeth are removed and a piercing is made in her lower lip and they then insert a heavy wooden or clay disc into that hole. And then the discs are continued to be replaced until larger and larger and until the woman's bottom lip is the size of a plate. That signifies to men that she is ready for marriage. Who sets the standard? Who sets the standard? This is why we have got to stop playing the stinking game. <laughs> it's a game. And I, I'm going to share this with you too, because this is insightful. I'm, gonna, I'm going over on time. Are we all still with me? Let me know if you're with me. How are we doing? Uh, this is really, really interesting when it comes to body image. This next point I'm going to make, I felt like I'm supposed to say it. There's a part of your brain called the posterior parietal lobe. The posterior parietal lobe is where you, you process pain, felt pain, and vision. Pain and vision get processed in the same part of this lobe, the parietal, posterior parietal lobe. There's a book that's, that's titled The Brain's Way of Healing. I highly encourage it. It's really fascinating because it really talks about we have pain, but Sometimes the pain is something because we think about it so much, it takes up more space and then we have more pain. So I know the book is generally talking more about uh, physical pain. For example, in the book, it talks about people who have hand pain, like, um, I don't know, I can't remember exactly what kind of condition, but like if it's crippled hand or it's arthritic and painful, and the person feels pain in their hand. Now stay with me, this is really important. When you think about body image, but it's what we see and the pain we feel. So if a person has a painful hand, they um, created this box that they would put their hands into this box filled with mirrors. And now they're being studied. And whenever the person with pain in their hands would put their box in the mirror, that uh, scientists would ask them to begin to pull on their fingers, pull on them. And in the box, because of the mirrors, it was kind of like funny mirrors in a, in a circus, in a fun house, they would begin to see their fingers lengthen and get really stretchy and long in the mirror. As they began to pull their fingers and it got longer, the person's pain would go down. Nothing changed in their biology. It was all in their mind of a psychology of what they saw. So they began to feel the stretch, even though they weren't, it was changing the way their pain. And then the, the, the scientists say after they'd go home, they would feel better for a while, but then they're like, I feel it again. So one of the old ladies, like the lady or the test subject was like, how can I get this box in my home? I'll just keep doing that. What does that tell us? That what we see in the mirror sends an image to us about what we receive as pain. We're talking to ourselves all the time. We are looking and defining pain because vision and pain get processed in the same part of our brain. So if you look in the mirror and you see fat stomach, fat thighs, and it brings an emotional pain inside of you because pain is experience. Pain is just, you feel it. Whether you feel physical pain or emotional pain is pain. Now, I'm making a jump here. I don't have any proof on this, but I'm sure this has to be connected to body image. 
Because if you look in the mirror and you see a problem and you see a pain point and you see your thighs as a problem, and all you do is begin to think of that pain, it cripples your brain and locks you down into that this has to be fixed. But what if you begin to look at yourself in the mirror and set a whole new standard of beauty? You set the standard that this stomach or these thighs, those are beautiful. And you look in the mirror and you begin to stretch that out, your reality begins to shift because you set the standard aligned with God who has set it for you. You represent him. The book, uh, it's just called, it's called The Brain's Way of Healing by Norman Deutsch, D-O-I-D-G-E, The Brain's Way of Healing. Uh, and you can read the whole part when he talks about um, the virtual body. That's a word that fro the guy named Paul Schindler, uh, Schilder, Schilder, he was a student of Freud and he described body image as a virtual body. Like you don't really see it. You're seeing it, but you're defining it. And I'm telling you, there's some power right there. So what are we to do? I always like to leave you with what to do. When it comes to your body image, yes, Holly is totally, yes, Holly said, amazing. We would feel better all over just by that thinking, by thinking better, by thinking this is my stand, this is a beautiful standard. Now, here's a, tr here's a truth for me. I'm actually, because I can feel it right now. Um, my, my, again, I I'm Latin, so my midsection can be my problem area, if you want to call it that. Uh, and it also, because of just standing over time, my back gets weak, so then my belly gets more forward and my posture gets out of alignment, and then I feel pain. But the pain I'm feeling, I'm actually blaming, in a sense, on my stomach, where it's like, the stomach's not the problem. I just need to stretch more. <laughs> I just need to be aware of my posture. All right, do you see? We make meaning, everyone. We're making meaning. And oftentimes, we make it about more than it actually is. So here's what we're going to do. When it comes to our body image, just like, remember, I talked about the food, good food matches a good God so that we match him. The same goes with our image. God says to us, mirror me, mirror me. Second Corinthians, verse three, starting at 17 says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom body freedom, just freedom. You are not stuck to the constraints or the confines or the standards of the world. Second Corinthians talks about, we have to take every argument captive, every argument that raises itself up higher than the standards of God. There is no higher standard than God. And if you want to know the standard of God, you've got to get in his word. And I cannot find anywhere in his word that he talks about the perfect weight or the perfect shape. No, he says that we are the God colors of the world. And if God was someone who his beauty esteemed him not a thing, who are we to think that that's what we have to have? We have the mind of Christ. We have body schema. We have ability to go and bring the kingdom into the earth. And that's why Jesus came with a body schema and not necessarily the perfect body image.
Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another, from one degree of pain to another. We are being transformed into his image. We have to come up higher, guys. We have to come up higher. Our ways are not his ways. Our thought are not his thoughts. We become what we behold. And what we behold either enables us or disables us. If we behold the standards of the world and what beauty is, we will be disabled. We will be pushed into this tiny little block, block, box where only a few people fit in. When we were made for the narrow road of the kingdom, where the few will say, you know what? I don't subscribe to those standards. I can bless it. I can be grateful for it. I can cheer you on. I can, but that's amazing. And pray that their beauty, their, that they happen to be fit into that box opens doors for others. Please, God, let it be so. My body, listen, I'm five foot tall. I'm already out when it comes to standards of height. But I know that I was born with a standard of muscle. I have, I've always had muscle. I was a little girl, I'd get teased for muscle. I had muscle and I so happened to love fitness. It happened to match for me. Now I realize that I have this ability that maybe others don't have. And so I use my abilities for what? To open doors for others, open doors open doors for others who did not have the fast twitch, slow twitch muscle fiber ratio like I had. I open doors for others with it. I consider others better than myself. I listen to other people's stories. So I understand my image is not the image. There is a standard of the world that I'm trying to break down so the standard of God can come. And the standard of God is unveil our face and mirror him. Look in the mirror and reflect him with your thighs, with your hair, with the color of your skin, with the birthmarks, with the cellulite, with the whatever it is. Mirror him. We become what we behold and what we behold either enables us or disables us. God enables us. Idols, wanting anything else but God, beauty, perfection, youth, whatever, that will disable us. Idols will disable us. God enables. So here's what you're going to do. Three things. If you're going to look to work on body image, thinking about body schema, you all have right now because you're listening to this episode. You can reach and hold your phone. You have body schema. For body image, you want to, one, spend more time looking at God. Spend more time looking at God. 2,617 times you touch your phone a day. 2,617 times a day you touch your phone. How often do you touch God? How often do you connect to God? How often do you want to hear from God? How often do you want to be remembering God? How often are you reconnecting to God? That's the war. That's the war. That's the game on, guys, because there's so much information now. I think you get like 70 to 90. You have 90,000 thoughts a day. Many of them you don't even know you're aware of. Messages are somewhere between 20 to 40,000 messages a day. 
you're getting inundated with it. And it's constantly wooing you to come lower your standards to the earth. And God's like, I got plenty more for you. My standards are higher. My ways are better. Spend more time looking at God. I'll come back to that. And spend more time talking with God. Like talk with him. Walk around your house and talk. Go for a walk around your block and talk. Go get the mail and talk. Read his word. Read it back to him. Let him talk. The healing process for your brain with the eyes that see and the pain you feel, when you get out and you are walking, talking, remembering God, thinking of him, thinking of you, you won't have time to think about what's in the mirror. Spend more time talking with God. Spend more time looking at God. Spend more time talking to God. Then the third and final and this one's very practical. If you're like, that's hard, Elisa. I know I should walk with God more. I know I should remember God more. I know I should do this more. But you don't? Here's my final gauntlet throw. Then you need to set some prompts. You need to set some reminders. Set some reminders. Yep, the sticky notes on the mirror. If you've had the same verse up for you, pull it down, get a new verse, and put it up. Or... It's a new way of seeing the verse or something. We need reminders. Remind us, God. Remember us to you, to you, because our mind, our eyeballs will start to look at other things and we will raise that standard up higher than the standard of God. If we give more attention to what we behold, we become. All right. Prompts. So... You know, the Jewish people are really good at this. Jewish people, if you know, the, like the um, Orthodox Jews, they have their prayer shawls. They have their uh, seat seats, the um, little tassels at the end of their shawls. They're there to remind them to pray. They actually touch them and grab them and pray. Catholics have rosary beads that they hold to remember to pray. When you walk into a Jewish home, they have a Methuselah, which is a, a little reminder. This is the scroll. God's word is here. They literally put it all around them. They have their Sabbath. The, the, uh, they light a candle. They do things to remember, remember, remember. Y'all, we can't, I, I, it just, oh, I get a little crazy. Because I guess I, ra I was raised in a family with people who talked about faith but never did it. And so here I am. Like we actually have to do it. And we have to try it. And if you go, Lisa, I've tried it. It doesn't work. I don't care. You try it again. You try it again. Did you know like Michael Jordan every day stood at the free throw line and would practice every day. He did it again. He did it again. He did it again. He did it again. One after there was no like he didn't walk away and go, you know what? I'm going to think of a new way to do a free throw. And so he didn't start working on a backhand spring to the free throw line. No, there was one way to do it. And he practiced it and practiced it and practiced it until he became that great basketball player or the layups or what he did. Practice it, practice it, practice it. The enemy constantly wants to steal this from us by minimizing your steps you've taken before. That's not true. Those are wins. Every time you have tried and it didn't get the results you wanted, it doesn't matter about the results. The prize is in the process. You do it again. You do it again. You do it again. And by, by the way, that's called faith. 
That's what we're here for. You keep doing it. Even if you don't see anything happen, do it again. Set your eyes on the kingdom of God. Behold his glory. Reflect the glory of the Lord. God, thank you for this message. I pray for anyone listening that there'd be a grace for them, God, in their minds to break up with the standards of this world, that they would desire to hear you, know you, seek you, love you. And when they look in the mirror, God, they are getting violent, vigilant against the standards of this world, that you set the standards, body schema. Our bodies are able and they work. And we thank you for that grace, God. Right now, Lord, I pray for healing for people's minds. Body dysmorphia, in Jesus' name, you end right now. And God, where there is body pain, back, knees, bones, illnesses, sickness and disease, God, God, where there's been a diagnosis of some kind that has continued to take more territory in people's brains, right now, God, I pray the peace of Christ would fall upon them and would surpass the understanding. They don't have to feel peace to have your peace. You paid for it outright. God, heal us in our minds so that we can return to you with all of who we are. We cease fire against the good design that is our body, that is our soul, the wholeness of who we are. We give it all to you, God. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen.